When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Okay, welcome in, everybody, to our watch-along slash Minnesota Vikings Q&A. So, Declan Goff is here, Matthew Collar, Minnesota Vikings beat reporter, as well as the Purple Daily Show from 2 to 4 every day on Score North. And we are watching on the TV to my left, Clay Matthews run into the end zone, the Vikings and Packers 2009 so not exactly a highlight moment for us to begin this watch along a classic game in which Favre has one of his best performances as a Minnesota Viking and of course facing his old team ESPN replaying it tonight if you want to watch along and first I will say this Declan Mm -hmm. everybody is finally becoming me like that is what (laughs) coronavirus has done you're watching old games like I have for so long and are uh, scared of people in public So both of these things are happening now, staying home, watching old games, and not going out or doing anything. Um, So what we have right now in this game, 14-14, and I have some observations, and I'm going to tell them to you. You you can react, and then you can tell me if we're getting some questions, because anything on the NFL draft, the offseason, old Viking players from – you know, 11 years ago, Favre, whatever you want to ask is totally fine. We had Antoine Winfield Jr. on the show today. If you want to ask any questions about the Vikings prospects of drafting him, whatever you want, Declan's going to gather those and give them to me. Uh, but a couple of observations. One is Antoine Winfield Sr. was great at football. He gets a pick in this game and he has a couple of tackles. He's a small guy, and you forget how tiny he was, and yet anything that came near him, he would shut down in the running game, great in coverage. By the time he gets to the Vikings, uh, he has already established himself as a great player in the NFL, but he was such a good Minnesota Viking, and there's so much talent on this defense and on this offensive line, and the weapons were good. Uh, My partner in crime, Sage Rosenfels, who's on the show two times a week, Uh, He was talking about Favre and his unique talent and his arm strength and his ability to make throws that nobody else can make. He's done that a number of times in in this game. But I've got to wonder, with all the talent they had on this team, Adrian Peterson is in the backfield. They've got good receivers. The offensive line is giving Favre all sorts of time. If Even if Sage had come and won the starting job, or if Tavares was still the starting quarterback, this still, I think, is a really good team. They're probably not winning a game like this against the Packers without Favre, but I, we forget that the whole roster of 2009 was really, really good, Declan. And just in terms of your favorite football players, is Antoine Winfield just, like, top 10 for you? You are always just yeah. loving. I mean, I mean he, he played, played in Buffalo, though, too, right? Yeah, he so did. That, right. that, that, that helps. helps. 
Yeah, he played. He was drafted by the Bills, and he played four or five years with Buffalo before coming to the Vikings. And Vikings fans get me when it comes to this because I think that Vikings fans are so obsessed with the team and passionate about the team that when there's somebody who's underrated by the rest of the league, they probably get it. Like Jake Reed, for example. Yeah. You know, J- Jake Reed doesn't get a whole lot of love years and years later after he was part of those teams when you still hear about Chris Carter and Randy Moss. But in Minnesota, people know how great Jake Reed was. I think the same thing goes for Antoine Winfield. And when someone is undersized and makes it to the point of being a Pro Bowl caliber player because of their toughness, because of their smarts, their will, I mean, you've got to appreciate that. And and, uh, that's why he was always one of my favorites. And then to see his son, first of all, it makes me feel really old. Like you and I both suffer from not being able to grow facial hair or at least effectively. And so we look like younger than we are. Uh, but talking with Antoine Winfield Jr. on the show about his dad made me feel about 120 years old. Um, so this game is is nice to see. Like, it wasn't that long ago. They know. are in the Metrodome with different jerseys and such. And I never got to go inside the Metrodome, Declan. But the one thing that's fun to watch about it is it has, like, all these shadows. And this is, like, the, there's the cutout of where the baseball field is supposed yeah. to be. And it's just, it's kind of a dump, but it, in a way, it, it it gives you this sort of, um, I don't know, like eerie feeling of going into this, this beat up old building and having to play against Brett Favre's football. Someone uh, weighed in that Antoine Winfield Jr. is going to be the first father and son duo to pick off Aaron Rodgers, which is actually a very <laughs> yeah. good point. I didn't yeah. really think of that. Yeah, it could be. I, I can't think of another father-son duo that where they were both corners and would have picked off the same quarterback. It is weird to see Aaron Rodgers at his age. Like, he looks extremely young. Um, maybe in the last month we've all aged a lot. I don't know. But Aaron Rodgers is playing extremely well in this game. Hits a big, what, 62-yard touchdown pass. But the amazing thing about the defensive line of the Vikings at this point is you have the Williams wall, Jared Allen, B Rob and Jared Allen's what they would set, what they would call draft time. His get off the line of scrimmage is just unreal to watch. I mean, that that's my favorite part of old games. Declan is just the players that I'm not saying that anyone forgets how good Jared Allen was, but it's fun to be reminded. It's fun to be reminded of how great some of these throws Favre had were. The first touchdown pass, he stops on a dime and makes a little juke move and then turns completely across his body to find, I think, Vasante Shanko for a touchdown. There's just so many things that he does that are great, like not just okay, good throws, whatever. When he winds up and fires it, the guy's 40-something years old at this point, and he's just letting it rip. It's old man strength, and it's it's fun to watch because even if you were there in the stadium or even if you uh, watch that entire season, every play of every game, when you're looking at the all-time greatest, I'll watch any highlight reel of Barry Sanders, Randy Moss, Michael Vick, you know, the guys who are just like breaking the game, and Brett Favre goes in that same category even at, at this point. So there was a video that he put out of training with someone not even that long ago, like a couple of years ago where he's throwing bullets. And then, you know, he's got those commercials where he's wearing the copper, oh, copper thing or whatever. Yeah. And him and Jerry Rice are slinging around the old ball yard as old men. That's funny. Uh, but the arm strength and the pocket presence that he had 
there's another throw that is a laser where there's some junk at his feet. You know, there's guys falling down and, and coming after him. And he just does like a little jump back like this and then throw. And I'm sure that Minnesota Vikings fans have these some of these same thoughts as they're watching Favre. And, and consider it's not a fair comparison because Favre is one of the five or seven best people to ever take a snap. So it's not fair to compare him to Kirk Cousins. But the pocket presence especially is where it stands out of Favre being able to make plays after things break down in the pocket and being able to you know, make a little extra move to make someone miss. And it's one of the reasons that you know, the Vikings need to improve their offensive line, for one, but it makes it harder to win when your quarterback doesn't have that natural type of athleticism there. Was that just Chester Taylor? Oh, oh yeah. Because yeah. he's another guy point. that's yeah. really good. Chester Taylor Chester. was really good. And uh, does not get a ton of credit because Adrian Peterson is there, but speaks to the amount of talent that they could throw out on the field when they needed somebody to catch a pass out of the backfield. Chester Taylor was always there. Man, there's another laser to Percy Harvin. I mean, think about the talent that's on this yeah. field. Harvin, Adrian Peterson, Sidney Rice is pretty good at this point. I mean, what a throw by Favre. And what's one of the most fun things to watch is just – how much Favre loves everything that happened. He, <laughs> he loves, loves football, football man. man. He slings this, just fires a laser beam, and Percy brings it in. And I wish Percy had had a healthy and long career because what a move after he catches the ball and then he just dodges the tackle and goes 20 more yards. Favre and Percy, what a great combination. Um, but like these weapons are really something and boy, they built a good offensive line here. And that's another thing watching where you think um, Vikings, why has this not happened at any point during the Mike Zimmer era to be able to build an offensive line like this? And, you know, they have one now that still needs rebuilding at several different positions. Uh, but watching these guys, um, Phil Lodeholt is the biggest human being in existence. No one has ever been larger than Phil Lodeholt. So he, he's like 6'9", 350 pounds. Last year, he came back to the Vikings to work as a coach for them for a little while as part of you know some, I don't know, NFL program where they have former players and they set him up with coaching positions. And A, still bigger than all the offensive linemen, not even close. But B, he stood in front of the lectern to give a press conference about what he was doing there and, and so forth. And uh, it normally comes up to like, you know, the, the chest area of most of the players. And this thing was not even to his waist for Phil Logan. He's just that massive. And what a perfect name. And uh, John Sullivan at his best is a heck of a player too, as a what, undrafted center. And he becomes a yeah, really, really great. good NFL player. Yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is a, a really great offense that Favre fell into, but I mean, watching him play with them and the energy that he brings. One thing that's great and fascinating about quarterbacks, and I think this goes a little bit, you can make that Cousins comparison again, but is the camera is always on them, like constantly, 100% of the time, it's on their face and it's showing every reaction. And this is one of the reasons in my mind that Favre is so popular, not just because of all the success, of course that goes along with it, but also the fact that, He's just always smiling when he thinks there's a pass interference on the interception by Charles Woodson. He's saying there's holding that was pass interference. And uh, just the, this natural energy about him that you can sense through the TV. I mean, you could be 
all the way up in the highest area of the Metrodome. And he's this big down there, but you could still see the type of energy he brings. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons that with Cousins, some of his body language, just it's not like Brett Favre. It doesn't seem relaxed all the time. It doesn't seem like he's in command or having a great time a lot of times. And, um, you know, it just, I think there's very few players that you can ever say that, that they truly look like they're just having a great time out there. I'm sure that Favre at different moments was terrified of what was going on out there, <laughs> that he was nervous or whatever else. But since he wore that joy on his sleeve, every time he's on, whether it's an old YouTube game I'm watching or just something like they're doing here, it's super fun. It's well, super fun. And with Favre, you just you, you saw it was authentic. That's the thing. You knew it was real. Whether it the whether there were highs or lows, you knew it was legitimate with Brett Favre. There was no faking it. And I think that's an, an unfortunate coincidence with Kirk Cousins. Is some people think that there's a phoniness, and and I think the main reason is because of the money and people that all the money that they gave him that they think that he's supposed to be playing at a top five level when he really, I mean, by pro football focus, he had a very good season last year. But he really, on paper, is not a top-five quarterback, so they want him to be that number-one guy. And Favre, even despite his lows in that 2010 season when everything came crashing down, there was still Mm -hmm. moments in that season where it was fun. I mean, he led a big comeback against the Cardinals that I remember, and even when he played against his will and was concussed sitting there on the TCF Bank Stadium uh, uh, field after getting, uh, getting hit by the Chicago Bears, you still knew that the guy gave it his all, and I think that's probably the biggest difference between Favre and Kirk Cousins. Yeah, you know, Kirk, It's he's hard to read when it comes to what he's thinking when he's out there, and to some extent it's not fair to look at somebody on TV and say like, oh, it doesn't look like he's, you know, spitting blood out there for the team or something because he's shown – toughness in the pocket he certainly has taken a lot of hits over the last couple of years and he gets up every time and that sort of thing and uh you know if you go by what stefan diggs said in his players tribune article and, and i think this is true for a lot of people the respect grew significantly for kirk cousins in the locker room last year but he always he just has a different demeanor to him you know when yeah. things go wrong and he's sort of trying like the adam Thielen thing or you know, last year in Kansas City where he rips his helmet off and he yells something. It's just, it doesn't have the same look as someone like Favre. And I think Aaron Rodgers suffers from this same thing, where Rodgers always looks just sort of perturbed. Yeah. And who knows? Eli Manning always looked completely lost. <laughs> Eli Manning looked like he had no idea what time it was or where he was. And he was just like smelling something bad. And yet Eli Manning wins two Super Bowls. So, you know, there's probably the reverse side of the fun to watch about Favre is probably not fair to some of the other quarterbacks with the body language thing, but it is a reason to absolutely love watching old Brad Favre games. And I believe going into this game, Aaron Rodgers was someone who had like a below 500 year. Cause that first year he took over for Favre, there was a significant growing pains. I think green Bay went like five and 11 or four and 12. They weren't a very good team. This year, or the 2009 season, they turned they started to turn things around and basically were a perennial playoff team for the next six to eight seasons. But there was still pains with Aaron Rodgers. He just didn't become Aaron Rodgers right when he took things over from Favre. There was a, a few years where he was still feeling it out before he really became Aaron Rodgers. When he led the Super Bowl team in 2010, that team was decimated by injuries, and I think that's when we saw, oh, Aaron Rodgers is actually legitimate. This guy can make something happen. But th- there was definitely a difference between... 
Aaron Rodgers just taking things over, and he wasn't just money from the get-go. It took him a little while to figure his, figure out how to play quarterback in the NFL. I, sorry, I'm, I'm watching uh, Aaron Rodgers try to call timeout before his guy was down. Like typical Rodgers, right? Uh, and, to and get Favre, that one second left. And how far was already in the tunnel. He was like, yeah, I'm going to go out in the tunnel. thought that was hilarious. Why, why do they have to walk him back? Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know, know why either. either. I don't see this one second. What what difference does it make? I never um, get back out there. And now they're, and now now they're saying it's over? What? Yeah, okay. Well, I I never, great moments in NFL history here. I never, I never covered a game, a game at the Dome, dome uh, for football, so I don't know what that would be like. But it, it was a confusing place. There, the, the, my college played some baseball games there in the crazy hours of the morning and night. Uh, when, as, as D2 baseball teams try to figure out how to play baseball in February and March, so they would use the Metrodome. But yeah, I never, I never covered a football game there. Um, I, I always admired the dome. Like it was our dump, kind of like you said. Like you haven't been there, but it wasn't a dump. It was our dump. And to be honest, it was fine for football. For baseball, it was atrocious. No baseball team should have ever played there. But it was an unbelievable home field advantage, and I think it was a sustainable arena for football. I thought it was all right. Yeah, I mean it's hideous, but it just has this this like uh, drama to it because it's so dark and ugly. I mean, US Bank Stadium is so beautiful and bright and vibrant that it looks incredible on TV and it looks really amazing when you're there. Um, but there's something to this of sort of a hauntingness that <laughs> you know, if you're the opposing team, you walk in and you're like, okay, I can't really see here, and uh, you know, the crowd's right on top of you, and it's just got the the thing rattles, and the roof might come down. Foreshadowing. Um, so anyway, uh, Jared Allen on this last play of the first half just explodes right by the left tackle of the Packers and then chases down Favre and hits him at the end of the play or is talking smack to him. And they're going back and forth. I mean, Jared Allen was an incredibly, incredibly quick and lanky player. It was like you built a defensive end in the lab with Jared Allen. And this is fun to watch. You just, there aren't too many guys that have that type of another draft word here. Quick twitch <laughs> is uh, what they might say, but I mean, just the, the explosiveness off of the line of scrimmage, every single play, I'm just looking at Jared Allen and uh, you know, blowing up off the line of scrimmage is pretty fun. So I, this is one of the reasons that I enjoy going back and, and watching these types of games. And I'm sure Vikings fans like this. I like any type of game that was somewhere from, well, yeah, of course, somewhere from 1990 to, you know, I mean, usually 2000, 2001, uh, I was watching Packers and Giants the other day when Eli upset Aaron Rodgers uh, in Lambeau Field in 2011 because I wanted to go back and watch just like how good was Eli when he was good Eli. And he was really tremendous in that game. Just a lot of third down completions and things like that. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's fun to kind of like refresh your memory on what these things looked like and how the Vikings operated on offense, who who their great defensive players were, how interesting it was the way that they built this defense. I mean, they get Jared Allen, they get Pat Williams, they get Antoine Winfield. Both of those guys came from Buffalo. And, uh, you know, you get Kevin Williams with that weird draft pick where they were skipped and yeah. then they drafted, what, 11th instead of 9th, I think it was, in a very, very bizarre moment, um, which sort of reminds me as we're just chatting here about how – messed up it's going to be for the draft this year i hope they don't have the same rules oh you know what they're not showing the halftime i was kind of hoping they'd show the halftime 
Yeah, yeah I, I love the thing that I love about watching all these old games is seeing all the old commercials. That's like half the fun to me is watching all these oh, old yeah. hilarious yep. like Discover Card and hilarious commercials that some of them just age so so horribly. I will make a suggestion for anyone: go back and watch the ESPN NFL Prime Times with Chris Berman and Tom Jackson from I don't know, started like '94 to '98, and they're just so good. Chris Berman. You know, he did this same exact thing for a really long time. And anybody in media is going to go through that where it's like, okay, like the John Madden boom thing. After years and years, it starts to get like, all right, okay, that's kind of your thing. But Chris Berman at the time was so sharp and funny. And and also it was just like a great collection of highlights for each game. Because what we see now in highlight packages is you get two, three highlights from a game. But then everyone wasn't watching every game on Red Zone and Twitter and everything else. So they would show 15 highlights from a given game, and you felt like you saw the whole thing. So going around the league, it, it again, sort of clicks with the nostalgia. I know that there are some people that don't really like to do this. They only want to watch new sports. But um, I, I think once you start to get into it, maybe because of, I don't know, worldwide pandemic, <laughs> then uh, you end up taking away a lot of things that are pretty fun about these old games. Uh, Chad wants to know is, could you see the Vikings going to a three, four and standing up Hunter and how would that impact draft strategy? Uh, no, I do not see them going to a three, four. I think Dom capers was brought in to uh, create some three, four pressures that they could mix into the total package, which would not be entirely unique to things that Zimmer has done on third down before but a full switch. I mean, first of all, no one plays three, four anyway. Like there are not four linebackers ever at any time uh, on the field, unless it's like a third and short or something like that. If you're doing it, it's a three man front with usually three linebackers and then a nickel cornerback in there and standing up to Neil Hunter might've worked a little bit early on. They had him do that, but he's become one of the best four, three defensive ends in the entire NFL. I don't think you want to change his role and a three, four type of defensive end is usually somebody who's like Cameron Hayward, where they're big and powerful and they can line up over the guard. Uh, you know, I, I'm not really much keen on, on an idea of changing things around and, and sort of changing people's positions. Exactly. Maybe Everson Griffin could have done that, but I don't like it for Daniil Hunter. Yeah, you could stand him up and play him at outside linebacker, if that's what you mean. I guess you, you could try to do that if you want to, but then essentially you're just playing a, a four-man front anyway, aren't you? Because you're not dropping Daniil Hunter back in coverage. He's not playing linebacker. Um, but I think some of the pressure packages will be included because of Dom Capers, and maybe we'll see a little more of Anthony Barr rushing or lining up at an outside linebacker type of position. But I, I don't even think that that's really going to be it. I, I think it's just somebody with a completely different worldview to come in just like Gary Kubiak did with Kevin Stefanski and provide more ideas and insight into different things that they could do. And I don't think that it impacts the draft strategy. They have so many positions to fill in the draft that, I mean, just pick one out of a hat yeah, and you'll no probably be right. I mean, they need, if they trade Anthony Harris, they need a safety. They need two to three cornerbacks. They could use another defensive end and they could use a three technique defensive tackle as well. So, you know, I, I think that they're going to stay with the principles of the Zimmer defense and just sprinkle in um, some of those other things. Do you think uh, 
most likely they'll go in house, or is it is it in draft that they're going to probably replace Everson Griffin's spot that uh, is most likely being the, leaving in free agency? Yeah, I really like uh, what I saw from Afadi Adenabo. His development over a couple of years has been remarkable. He's a guy that they cut twice and then ends up back here because they always liked him and had uh, an idea of what his ceiling could be. And then last year he proved that he could play on a regular basis. Now he gets seven sacks last year, but they're putting him largely in positions to win. I mean, third down and longs and, and things like that, passing situations where the other team has to drop straight back. They're not running a lot of play action. They're not running at you. And so whether he could play the full-time position is questionable still. I think he's a very, very nice player to have, but you probably still want to continue to bring other players along or get a rotational veteran. There are still a handful of those guys out there. Uh, I wouldn't hate the idea of Terrell Suggs. If he wants to spend some time in his old stomping grounds in Minnesota, he is old, but he was good last year for Kansas City and won the Super Bowl. So if he's got anything left in the tank, on a, wants a one-year deal or something and doesn't want a lot of money, just wants to play, um, maybe that is that is an idea that they might consider. There's still a couple of those guys out there, Cameron, Wake, so forth. Um, but I think everything is on the table for them. I mean, it really depends on how things fall. If Caleb on Chason, who's the defensive end from LSU, if he falls to 22, I mean, you might consider it if some of the top corners have already gone off the board and you're going to have to spend, you know, maybe get multiple corners later. So everything really depends on the board because you have to fill all these different positions. Um, But, uh, you know, I I think the one that they could fill in-house is probably that and maybe three-technique defensive tackle too uh, because they've been drafting these guys, they've been developing these guys. And you think about the defensive line – in 2017, I wrote a big piece about this, that none of the starting defensive linemen for the Vikings on the number one defense in the NFL were drafted any higher than the third round. You had Daniil Hunter as a third rounder, Everson Griffin's a fourth, Tom Johnson undrafted, and well, actually Limbaugh Joseph might have been, I think, a second round pick. So, uh, But he was a guy they brought in free agency and made better and better and better. So they didn't have any big first rounders as we see Favre drop an unbelievable oh, dime so much time for a touchdown. Time. Like an, an unbelievable, unbelievable amount of time. Wow. Uh, that was uh, a guy that Favre later in the season should have considered checking down to, <laughs> Bernard Berrien. Um, first guy out there is our friend Sage Rosenfels to give him a high five. So let's take a look at this play. He's got, the, I mean, the classic like Favre pump. And how do you have the arm strength to be still like fading backwards and then just turn your body and whip it right there on a dime to Bernard Berrien. I mean, this is a classic Brett Favre performance where if you didn't know how freaking old he was, you would have no idea. He's picking up Bernard Berrien on the sideline. Come on, Bernard. That's a great touchdown. I I, love it. My Favre's not good. Yeah, it's not Uh, not great. But that's great. I mean, in this game – the ESPN cameras do not take uh, themselves away from Brett Favre at any point. So you really get to see the sort of full experience of how much joy he has. And uh, what a throw. You know, we uh, this is a good timing. An audiogram went out, which always get very well received for you. I know how much sometimes that people love to take those out of context. So it's a great, it's a great time for you to explain occasionally, yeah. occasionally what they can do. Uh, we talked about a score line today, Bill Barnwell's reckless speculation on the Vikings possibly trading back in the draft and actually why it makes a lot of sense because where the Vikings are at in their draft position. So maybe explain a little bit why 
those picks between 20 and 40 overall on a big board are actually very close in parity. Yeah, you know, I think with this particular draft, when you look at a lot of the different positions that the Vikings do need, um, it's interesting that you could see those guys being anywhere on teams' draft boards. I'll give you an example, the cornerback position. It seems that there are some teams that think that Christian Fulton, the LSU corner, is more of a second-round pick. Some of the big boards have him as like the 50th best prospect. And there are others that have him as a top draft pick. And he was really, really productive at LSU, faced a lot of the best wide receivers, shut down some of the best wide receivers. Uh, But there's variations when it comes to the opinions of teams. And what that says to me, when you have a lot of prospects who are like that, uh, how about A.J. Epinesa? He's the defensive end from Iowa. Some feel that he's more of a second round draft pick and some feel even when he was going into the combine and didn't put up the, maybe the performance people wanted him to, but the tape that he put out there, that he was more of a top 15 prospect. And so when you have those type of guys that are very good prospects that might fall into the second round, trading back makes a lot of sense, especially when you have so many different needs on this team that you want to pick up as much draft stock as you can, because in almost every draft, there's a guy who becomes interesting that's a, a later draft pick, whether it's Stefan Diggs in the fifth or even someone like Jaron Curse, who became a serviceable fill-in type of player that was a unique weapon for you last year, BC Johnson. I don't think BC Johnson becomes the next Kelvin Johnson, but he is a serviceable wide receiver that you got in the seventh round. Well, you can only do that if you're taking more shots in the draft. And so I think moving back to the second, you can still get the same caliber of prospect Uh, And there are probably guys that you like that other teams don't. And then you will have more draft stock later. And plus, in that Bill Barnwell piece, he suggested some trades. Well, if you're going to make trades, the more draft capital you have, the better you can offer, say, Washington for Trent Williams. Or uh, it was brought up the idea of getting Curtis Samuel from Carolina. I think he was maybe underutilized a little bit in Carolina. They wanted him to be a pure receiver, and he could be one of those guys that lines up in the backfield or – the slot or runs bubble screens and makes plays after the catch. So, you know, it just gives you more options once you have more draft stock. And uh, I think you could still get quality prospects in the second. It might've been Daniel Jeremiah, but I believe someone had the Packers possibly taking Jordan love. If he fell to them, do you see any scenario where the, where the Packers could possibly take a quarterback with their first round pick? Well, I mean, They should, right? Right. There's only going to be so many more years of Aaron Rodgers. Even the way that Aaron Rodgers played this year, you would look at him and go, okay, I mean, we were having those conversations. Is he washed? Is he still what he used to be? That week 17 against Detroit and then the playoff game against San Francisco. I mean, Aaron Rodgers did not look like the old Aaron Rodgers. And what you see when you watch old games of his is just how much his athleticism mattered. How, and he gets sacked eight times in this one. So, you know, he wasn't escaping uh, Jared Allen, as most quarterbacks would not be able to. But his ability to move outside the pocket, to run, uh, I was referencing that game with Eli Manning in 2011, and Aaron Rodgers was their leading rusher at that time. He could take off and run any time, and he could make throws where he would contort his body and things like that and extend plays. That was part of his greatness. He can't do that as well anymore. So he has to game manage a little bit more. And uh, I don't know how much longer that's going to happen. So if you're trying to look with the quarterback position two, three years out, which is usually what you're trying to do, you're saying, you know, 
I mean, Rodgers might retire in two years, or you might get to a point where you think, like, we've got to move on, so it makes sense to draft a quarterback. And if you uh, don't really love the guy that you draft, you can always trade him. Someone else will trade you something for your quarterback, as Josh Rosen proved. Josh Rosen could not have played any worse in in his first season, and yet he, they got a second-round pick for him. Right. So it's, it's usually not a bad play. And I also saw Matt Bowen of ESPN had uh, Jalen Hurts to the Green Bay Packers, which would really upset some Vikings fans Oof. that are still holding out hope for Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I am. Uh, I would love some. I would love to get freaky, as Jalen Hurts likes to say, get freaky <laughs> for Jalen Hurts. But I think I think the contract extension for Kirk probably kills any steam of them taking a legitimate draft pick, probably on a quarterback. I mean, if they would like, right, it would like be a fifth or a seventh round pick or something, just a project. Yeah, and that's, you know, the thing about that is everybody wants that all the time. Everybody's always, you know, draft a late guy, take a shot, Tom Brady. But when you look at the number of quarterbacks from the fifth round on who have ever become anything, you're often just taking draft stock and flushing it down the toilet. So the hot zone, in my mind, if you're not taking one the first, is usually that like second round through fourth, where we see your... Jimmy Garoppolo is in there. You got your Dak Prescott as a fourth rounder. There are a number of quarterbacks who drop for similar reasons to Jalen Hurts. There's question about the arm strength. There's question about the accuracy, whatever. Something that made that guy drop. And not, of course, every quarterback who's drafted in the second through fourth rounds works out. But if you're a team that's only maybe a toe into the quarterback market, like the Vikings would be, and you're maybe looking for an intriguing backup quarterback who could over three years develop into your next guy, then yeah, Jalen Hurts is your guy. And especially with his athletic ability, I mean, he put on some kind of performance at the combine and watching him back at uh, Oklahoma, he runs over people. I mean, he's a violent runner. You might be able to use him for other purposes. You know, maybe you keep three quarterbacks and you have Jalen Hurts active on game day and you put him in, at slot wide receiver and throw him a bubble screen. You hand it off to him. You pitch it to him. You have him, you know, throw a pass or something. Like he, he could be your backup quarterback and develop as a quarterback, but that's what the Ravens did really early on with Lamar Jackson, sort of an extra little bonus uh, that you could use for a couple of years. And, and maybe he becomes a really great playmaker like we saw from Cordell Stewart or something. So, you know, you never really, you never really know how these things are going to turn out. And I think in rounds two through four, it's always worth once a draft or once every other draft, even if you have a quarterback, taking a shot at a QB because that might be your future guy. Well, just look at guys like Kirk Cousins and even Russell Wilson, right? I mean, who would have thought that these guys would turn into such franchise-changing yep. game quarterbacks? Third and fourth, yep. When both teams had their quarterback of the future set. That was the same draft. The Redskins took RG3 at second overall. And the Seahawks gave a boatload of money to Matt Flynn. Now that didn't work out. And thank goodness that he took an insurance policy on Russell Wilson. So I, I can understand how it works. Uh, David wants to know Anthony Harris and number 22 for the Lions uh, first round pick. Likelihood of that. Uh, likelihood's about zero because right. why would the Lions do anything for you? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think a team in your division is going to give them give you their third overall pick, especially for a player – who is going to be expensive. You have to factor that in, that the Lions spent a bunch of money. They've got a huge quarterback contract. They signed more players over the last two years. And I don't know if the Lions could afford to bring in someone like Anthony Harris and then pay him. And moving from 22 all the way up to three, that's usually going to cost more than somebody 
who is going to bring an expensive contract, uh, who also played next to Harrison Smith, and you're not entirely sure, though I think Anthony Harris is an excellent player. You're not entirely sure what he's going to do away from Harrison Smith, which might be part of the hesitation on teams to give up something like a second. I think Anthony Harris only has third-round value in a trade. So if you were talking about the 22nd pick and a third rounder, that's not going to move you up all that particularly far. So you have to you have to kind of factor that in. Maybe you can move up. Let's say there's somebody that you love that's dropping in the draft. And let's say it's C.J. Henderson. He gets to the 15th pick. Maybe you could move up from 22nd to 15 if you gave somebody Anthony Harris uh, and your first rounder, but definitely not to three and definitely not to the Detroit Lions. The Lions, though... I think they're going to trade down, and they would be very smart to do it if they don't draft Tua and surprise everybody. Because if you think about it, Matt Stafford does not seem like he's thrilled to be a Detroit Lion. I'm sure he feels like he's been let down time and time again. Their coach is uh, – what's is there any polite way to say, like, clueless? I mean, listen to what Darius Slay has said since he left about Matt Patricia, and I buy it. So, you know, you don't have a good head coaching situation. You don't have a good organization. They've won absolutely nothing. And if you feel like you need to take your last shot somewhere else, if you're Matt Stafford, you you want to trade next year. You can't do it right now because of the cap implications, but next year you can. So if you're Detroit, it would make a lot of sense to draft Tua if Washington doesn't pick up because I think it makes sense for Washington too. Um, now, if you're the Vikings, trading up really high, probably both picks and then a lot more. I don't think it's worth it in this draft. I think that there's so much talent in that late first to early second that trade down is the only option in my mind, not trade up. It seems too like the NFC North is obviously the Packers won it, but it's not, they don't have a stranglehold on it. And it really depends, I think, on what the Lions and the Bears can do in the draft day. And maybe they can get someone that's an impact player. But to me, I look up and down the North and yeah, the Bears might, the Bears and Lions might be four and three. Who's in, They're interchangeable there. But I don't look at the Packers as, by, by any means, the favorite to run away with the division. I think it's a pretty open division, uh, kind of depending on what happens in draft day. Right, and this is I've gotten a few tweets here and there, like, why don't the Vikings trade more of their talent and, and try to tank or something like that? Tank for Trevor, it's just not going to happen. They have way too many good players. And, like you said, I mean, is Green Bay winning 13 again? Probably not. I'm sure there are Vikings fans somewhere who are like, the refs will help them get to 13. But, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think they're going to win 13 again. The Bears have hardly any draft capital at all. They've improved their uh, defensive side a little bit. But Nick Foles, does that scare you? Maybe only if you're the Vikings at Soldier Field. Are you scared of Nick Foles taking them somewhere different? Detroit is absolutely the wild card. If they can get it together, they have a lot of talent on a team, two very talented wide receivers, an offensive line that they've built up around some draft picks, some defensive players that they've brought in free agency. On paper, Detroit looks like a really competitive team. It's just hard to believe that Matt Patricia coaching them is going to make them truly competitive. So if you're the Vikings and there's seven teams in the playoffs now, I, I see no reason not to do everything you possibly can to make the playoffs next year. If that's adding Trent Williams, then it's adding Trent Williams. Um, or if it's, you know, trying to pick guys that fill immediate needs for you that you want to rely on, it is always a little bit risky to do that, but it makes sense to kind of have a, a soft rebuild here because you're not really in a spot where you could go uh, full rebuild. 
Do you, you think, think Matt Patricia's probably the... I'm, just, I'm watching uh, Ryan Grant fumble here at the goal line. What do you, what do you think, think of Ryan Grant? Gonna I, have a, I have a lot of Packers this fans. Is the th- I didn't watch this game oh, you did? live, so oh, wow. this is the only time I've ever seen it. I, I was going to say, I have a lot of Packer fans that think did he's like Did you mute yourself, most... Declan? I might You have. muted yourself. Good job. I was going to say... muted now? Okay, there you go. I was going to say, I have a lot of friends that just loved... Ryan Grant thought he was like one of the most underappreciated running backs of their time. I don't remember a whole lot about Ryan Grant. And maybe, maybe he was, maybe he was. I mean, does that, who's the best Packers running back since they had Favre? I mean, Aaron Jones has a debate for it. Dorsey Levins, Edgar Bennett, Amon Green is probably the best running back. So they've had some guys, they've had some guys back there, but James Starks, University of Buffalo, shout out to James Starks. Uh, but you know, it's never a thing you first think of with the Green Bay Packers. Okay. So the fumble did not stand. Um, it's hard to decide when a quarterback puts up the numbers that Aaron Rodgers did in this game, well over 300 yards passing, but gets sacked eight times. Like, did he have a good game if you get sacked eight times? Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a great question. I don't know. You got any more questions there, Declan? Uh, I do not at the moment. From listeners. Okay. But all right. Oh, actually, last one is Kevin Williams a Hall of Famer? I don't think so, but Hall of very good. Yeah, guy guys who, like we said about Jake Reed, like Jake Reed is not going to go in the Hall of Fame, but man, was Jake Reed good. Same with Antoine Winfield Jr. Or I'm sorry, Antoine Winfield Sr. He, it, it, all these guys were tremendous players, and they deserved accolades that they got, and they deserved admiration and uh, acknowledgement from the fan base and from the organization as the great players who played for your team, the hall of fame though. I mean, that is, that's the Favre. Like that's the 1%. Those are the only the players who break the game and, and the, the John Randall's like those guys, the Randy Moss, Chris Carter, only though that tiny, tiny percentage of there's, no one like you in the league or three players like you in the league for the time that you play. That's how I have a very high standard for it. Even though I think there are some guys who I can bend a little on Randall Cunningham's a guy I would bend a little on because I feel like he was a trailblazer to go along with his great career. Um, Terrell Davis was so good in a short time that I wasn't mad when he made the hall of fame, but probably not, not quite Uh great, great, great player though. So all right, Declan. Well, this was fun. This little watch along slash Q and A. I enjoyed spending time chatting with you and watching this game. So I'm going to watch the rest of this uh, here contest between the Vikings and Packers. And every Monday night at eight, every Saturday night at eight, we do either Q and A's, draft sims, or something else like this. So we'll continue to do that. So make sure you watch out for that. And we will catch you two to four Monday through Friday on Purple Daily. If you are leading change, building a team, or implementing new procedures, Gonzaga University's online Master's in Organizational Leadership gives you the tools for success. With concentrations in change, global, and servant leadership, you'll get the most relevant training and education to help you tackle any challenge. Visit gonzaga.edu slash leader and find out how Gonzaga's organizational leadership degree can affect positive change in your life and career. That's gonzaga.edu slash leader. The new Deborah Health Report podcast drops the first Wednesday of every month. Visit DeborahHealthReport.com for the latest with Raza Kay as she discusses heart disease, sleep conditions, and more with leading doctors at Deborah Heart and Lung Center. Listen at DeborahHealthReport.com.